Welcome to No Hope, the podcast. If only I had a cloaca. Hello. Hello. Are you still there? <laughs> Are you still there? God? Um, it's me, Margaret. It's me, Margaret. Did you ever read that book when you were a kid, by the way? Oh my gosh, that's that so Judy funny. Bloom, I, do you, Judy Bloom. Yeah. Do you think it was like mandatory? Only gay boys read. No, um, I don't. Well, think obviously so. every girl oh, well, read of course, it. But, but did did boys read? Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. That's another Venn diagram. But no, no, uh, <laughs> I don't. I don't know. It's a good question. I feel like I had it read to me, but. I don't know. I mean, this was so many years ago. That doesn't seem to make oh, sense. I, but I do remember. I, I think, think I own. I, I do remember checking that out of the library, and maybe owning, and maybe even owning it myself. But I either checked out of the library or I like stole it from my sister. But I yeah. definitely did not let anyone know that I was reading it. Page, for sure. but it's such a page turner. What about Hardy? It what was about, uh, like Hardy Boys. Did you read those? Well, yeah, but that's different. Yeah. They didn't have sex in it. Well. They could. I mean, that, that's that our, was, maybe and that's it our, was Hardy Boys. Maybe the, <laughs> it was like, that was what we were supposed to be reading mm-hmm. when we were like, you know, 12 and 13 years I mean, it old. It kind of sounds like a porn title. The, the, Hardy, the Boys. Hardy Boys. <laughs> I mean, if somebody I, hasn't done that, color me shocked. Like I we, we I'm sure there are many <laughs> chapters of the Hardy Boys. Um, uh, there are also many episodes of No Hope. The podcast there are which you We're are listening to right now, like this all is of episode our seventeen. Seventeen. We're in deep into double digits. Like all of our work, we just we're still slogging. We just keep we keep doing we're it. So- <laughs> uh, I'm Tim Allmiller. <laughs> I'm Scott Schneider, and we're No Hope. And Productions. we are here to talk about musicals. Yeah. We are we are No Hope. The podcast. We often forget our little tagline: outcasts in the arts. But again. If you're listening, you know this. You probably already know that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we, I'm going to look up the Hardy Boys. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just because I, you know, if, if there's Star Wars parodies, mm-hmm. there's um, Harry Potter, obviously. Yeah, there's like there has to be Hardy Boys. Even I mean, it would be really amazing if it was like 70s, like oh, Hardy wow. Boys 70s, with like porn. a with like a great 70s soundtrack to it. Yes. Yeah. What was the oh Debbie does Dallas? I used to I actually used to watch the actual film Debbie does Dallas. I somehow owned it and watched it a lot because I thought it was hilarious. Uh, the music was great. It was like total seventies porn music. Uh, I tell you, these babes are really something. You got to see them. Sixteen years old, built like this. Sounds good. Movie. You're gonna like it. You never had anything like it before in your life. Oh my god! Don't let it scare you, honey. You'll have the time of your life. And then after my sort of brief obsession with the film Debbie Does Dallas, they actually made a musical out of it, funny enough. Uh, I remember remember that. I don't remember what the venue was, but Sherry Renee Scott was in it (laughs) and played. I think it might have been La Passant Rouge. No, it totally was not. Are you sure? Yeah, no, it wasn't. It was like... uh, more traditional space it was yeah it was it was it was more of like an off-broadway theater but i will see if i can figure out when that happened and where that happened but it was a piece of theater that did happen and it was fun so if your name was debbie benton you could be the debbie benton in this letter there must be more debbie bentons in this world 
Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well. Well. Um, that was a journey. Uh, yeah. Onward. I mean. <laughs> um. Okay. Judy Bloom to Debbie Does Dallas. Let's do. I think there's a couple of. Uh, rewinds Rewind! that we thought we would do. Um, Let's do it. Do you want well, Both of mine are really, really, really quick. So let me, I'll just run into them real quick. Okay. Remember when we were talking about rent? Yeah, of course. And, um, and we were, and I, you know, there was that reveal that, that, that Jonathan Larson had originally worked with this other guy who was yeah, kind of the person like, who first proposed the project. I did not know that. I, I don't, I don't know, but I didn't. So, yeah. And I and I finally came across an actual CD booklet cuz I looked uh-huh. online and I couldn't figure out where to see like the liner notes okay. basically. And I found an actual CD booklet and yes indeed that gentleman whose name I do not remember right now is given credit wow. as um I can't remember if it's like original concept and additional music and lyrics or something like yeah. that. So he did he did make some sort of contribution to the show. Wow. It's very interesting that he obviously negotiated that byline and then just completely walked away. And as we talked about, it would be fascinating. Oh, I just hit the microphone. <laughs> it would be fascinating to find out how much money. Oh, I know. I want to like see he his, has made I, from that I project. I want to see his but, residuals break down. Like, yeah, year to year. Uh, alas, um, that I, I that that is, and then my other one is a stupid thing that I said on the last episode where we were talking to Don and working together at the Cleveland Playhouse. I this is a, such a small thing, but I incorrectly said that the Case Western students were getting their MAs. That's not correct. They were getting their MFAs, all of them. Oh, I don't. I don't know why I said that. It was just a, it was just a little, a little you know, slip, a mind, little blip, a mind fuck. I'm so sure. That's, so we have so many listeners already, and I'm sure I that mean, so many were turned off by that mistake and just said, you know what? The Case Western <laughs> students who have been following us were like, "Fuck this you. guy is a hack." Yeah, we are getting MFAs. I have a so BFA. BFA. That is a Alice Ripley quote. In case all of you don't know, but if you're listening to this, you probably do from her infamous Tony Award uh, acceptance speech. Acceptance yes. speech. Yes, where she was needlessly screaming that she is a BFA. Um, I think we should insert, insert an audio clip of that. That's findable. Ooh, that's yeah. that's totally yeah, that's we're a gonna, fun thing we're gonna to do. do. That. Let's gonna let's do hear that. let's hear from Alice. Yeah. And it says, "I am certain that after the dust of centuries has passed over our cities, we too will be remembered not for our victories or defeats in battle or in politics, but for our contribution." To the human spirit. <laughs> yeah, she's had an ongoing theme in this podcast, along with uh, Audra and Mandy Patinkin, it seems. Um, and and uh, Patty. And Patty, of course. Patty, of course. But, Patty, but of the, course. the thing that's interesting is we, like, on, we disagree on Patty and Audra, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Um, we completely agree on Mandy. Yeah. And I I really had, as I have said before, a, a complete change of heart with Alice Ripley mm-hmm. uh, after I saw her in those in those readings. So I have a, a tender place in my heart for her yeah. and I would love to see her on oh, stage. I don't, anyway, I don't, you have a couple of reasons. Yeah. Uh, just just to just to be clear, I don't I don't dislike 
Alice by any stretch. I'm just I'm no, inter- no, no, entertained no, by her. Um, okay. Uh, and here I am smacking my lips. You're doing your thing. I'm doing I know, my thing. I know. Bad it, habits. It starts like folks. instantly as soon as we start <laughs> yeah, recording. Like, let's I let start out, swallowing obsessively. Let's let out the verbal tics. Um, <laughs> so I have a couple, two, real two, just two quick rewinds. I think from episode sixteen. Um, be more chill both don and i were commiserating a little bit about like it was weird because we were supposed to be seeing this show that was like billed as like oh new and this got you know this is very technological and like you know became big off spotify but it felt like weirdly dated but i couldn't really remember like why um and i didn't do a bang up job researching this but we did mention that the this was a, a ya novel and it came out you know a quite a while ago i looked it up it was novel the novel was published um on june 1st 2004 by american author ned vizzini Uh, so that sort of explains why it felt like recent yet also dated at the same time um you know we mentioned that the the main reference like pop cultural reference is keanu reeves who who plays the main character squip who you know he's still a he's still in the in the pop culture universe, but yeah, you know, it's lexicon, still, yeah, yeah, yeah. It that yeah. feels but, a little but dated, his, but, you know. It's, but that the the high point yeah. probably was around, around the first and second Matrix films, sure. which were like in the late nineties, early two thousand. But for yeah. watching this show like a year ago or whenever it was, it was like it felt random, you know what I mean. Um, to have such this like outsize uh, focus on Keanu Reeves. And then uh, at some point, the main character is ordered by his squip to buy an M&M t-shirt, uh, which oh. <laughs> that's also like a little like, okay. <laughs> uh, that is so interesting yeah. that people, that p- young people really took to that because yeah, M&M is like, like that feels pretty, pretty dated old to me. news at this point. I mean, you know, yeah. I, uh, I also wrote him for his impact on popular culture. Sure. Um, There's also some really dumb song called two player game where Jeremy and his best friend, they sing about how they'll always be a team. Like that's thus the two player game. And they're playing some like video game together. And I remember there was like this really bad clunky production design where they were playing like a somewhat dated looking game. Like reading that, I like remembered that that scene which was like horrible um <laughs> and so it has to be there has to be some like don was saying some sort of retro appeal or something even like mountain dew yeah like, i know even i mean mountain i wrote dew that is sort of too, like, but i'm like i guess people maybe still because i'm like i'm sure t- you know i'm old but i'm sure teenagers still eat horribly unhealthy things but yeah that uh Seemed weird. Yeah, but there's all those energy drinks. No, that's now. true. Do people really drink Mountain Dew for their for the sugar and caffeine? That may have to be a double rewind like where we look seventy five at- <laughs> times as much in a in a Red Bull or a Monster or whatever those things are. Something that those like, are probably outdated too. Yeah, already. I know. As I speak, I know. We can. We'll do a double rewind on Mountain Dew sales <laughs> statistics from two thousand four <laughs> through two thousand twenty. Uh, see what that graph looks like. Uh, lastly, I just wrote that there's a scene at a mall, which I feel like, I don't know, doesn't get much more dated than a mall. <laughs> yeah. 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 I so, mean, malls are tr- literally disappearing. There are uh-huh. the malls are just shuttering everywhere. Yeah. Um, 
so those were those are the things at least that were in the 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 plot summaries that I could find that I was that sort of I, but I felt like there were more when I was watching it in real time. Uh, but you know, good enough. I wonder if he started writing the musical like that long, like if he if he discovered the book in like 2005 or 2006 and started writing the musical and it because you know we know how long of it course. takes to fucking make something yeah. happen and by the time it actually got to Broadway it was yeah they must have just decided we're going to keep this retro rather than try to update it I mean you know even yeah, when we I'm write sure. stuff we're always asking totally. these questions about yeah. like do we now change this mm-hmm. to a smartphone when it used to just be uh you know like just what are those like what are those little changes that you're going to make i just rewrote a, a that play flight that i did in the fringe um because she had a blackberry right and i was like no one right, is, i mean right. everyone's just going to be like when was this written yeah. if the I, woman has a black i think for be more chill they made a decision to just you know stick to yeah. the stick to the time and place that it was but uh but yeah there was like some cognitive dissonance to it to the way it was marketed versus being like huh this feels like it was 15 years ago. And then you find out for good reason. Um, yeah. Well, especially because I thought it was like a truly original musical. That's what made it weird is I didn't realize that it was like based on this YA novel. So it was kind of like, huh? But anyway. Um, okay. You know, okay. and that is okay. why we now just write timeless stories such as like <laughs> lesbian mothers that kill their children. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly, because <laughs> that's always going to be tight. That's always going to yeah. be right there, right there, right there, right at there. the cutting edge, it's right there on the cutting edge. Um, so the other, I have a question. Oh, okay. Sure. Oh, wait, you have wait. No, oh, you have another. I have one have more rewind. rewind. Sorry, this is very quick, okay. and it just makes me happy that somehow this came up in conversation. That this even facilitates a rewind on a podcast about musical theater. But there was a question of whether birds have sex. Um, how did that yeah, even come I up? Mean, oh, because I was I, bitching I, about the birds outside my yeah, house. Yeah, and I was like, I don't <clears> know how birds have sex. I mean, yeah. they lay eggs. So does a does the female? Yeah, well, in the Google search that I did, because I'm such a professional researcher here, and didn't even click into the link, the paragraph that came up said, uh, "Sure, birds can fly, but how do they have sex?" Unlike mammals, most male birds don't have penises. Instead, both male and female birds have what's known as a cloaca. The cloaca is an internal chamber that ends in an opening, and through this opening, a bird's sex organs, testes or ovaries, discharge sperm or eggs. That's it. So yeah, they don't actually They actually have sex. don't really have sex. They just like put holes up against each other, it seems like. I mean, they're cloacas. They put the cloacas against each other. <laughs> that and then word, like discharge I, things. Both those words are disgusting. <laughs> that word though was just in something it was? that we watched. I wonder if it was in Lovecraft Country. Uh, are you watching that show? No. Uh-uh. Uh, you should. I'm probably be. mispronouncing um, the word too because I am a no. Mu- I think musical theater aficionado, think, not uh, an expert in the natural natural world. A scientist, yeah. A biologist, yeah. Um, I believe cloaca is correct, and hmm. and I have heard that word so recently that it's weird, it's cool, and I'm trying to cool figure word. out 
when, but it is it is a very fascinating yeah. word. Yes, to start working that yes. in to my day to day conversation. <laughs> my cloaca hurts today. Oh, I did it up but too. I don't think you have a cloaca, I so I don't. That so would be a problem. You could say, you could say, God, I wish I had a cloaca. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what it feels like to have a cloaca. If only I had a cloaca. <laughs> it could be an uh, I want song for our next musical. Exactly. If only I had a cloaca. <laughs> um, oh. oh, my God. Okay. All right. Well, I'm glad that I was you, It was good of right, you to question I think it. I was the one who was like, did I question don't think it. birds have sex. I was sex. like, of course exactly. they have. Well, I don't know. Do they have sex? Um. <laughs> It's, uh, that is, I, yeah, I, fuck, I wish I could remember where I heard that, that word, but, um, anyway, alas, okay. Moving on. Uh, moving on. I want to ask you a question, and this is, I mean, this may, it's interesting, it may already have been answered a lot, I don't know. I was curious about, um, like, the musical or if you could even think of like a couple of musicals that you had the most visible physical emotional responses to i mean we all talked about and this kind of came out of listening to the the episode that we just recorded with dawn about her love of once yeah and at about you know that the and i know that I did and John did and I think she said that we all, you know, had a had a very emotional response to the end of that show. And interestingly enough, to the end of that show, um I don't think I cried elsewhere in that show, but I was curious if you if there are shows that you haven't talked about um that maybe you had an emotional response, you know, earlier or midway or um oh i just i can think of one which is wicked we did talk about that i had i had a very emotional response at the end of act one. Oh, of course i was yeah, I, that... I was i was you know incredibly moved by that visually musically every you know everything just came together um but yeah it, do you have any other things that you haven't already talked about or maybe i was thinking especially in non-traditional places, right? Like that you have an emotional response to something. Yeah, I mean, not oh, at the end. I'd have to not, prob- and not that sad, you know, necessarily. I'd have to like, I'd have to like probably get back to you with more examples, but absolutely. I mean, I feel like more often than not, I have emotional reactions in the, in the journey part of a musical. You know what I mean? It's like less, less at the end of a musical when things are tying up, you know, in some way or the other, I feel like all the interesting happen stuff happens in the middle. Um, you know, just musicals in general that I haven't talked about, but that I just generally had a strong emotional reaction to were fun home. Um, uh. and, uh, which that I feel like poof, beginning to finish is like, it's like a gut pretty devastating bunch. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, and you know, of course the standout song there is like ring of keys and everything. <clears throat> I mean, what, like an amazing, like coming of age song and like, uh, yeah, like, you know, so much has been said of it and like, you know, seeing yourself and like representation and all, all of that, like that, that 
doesn't happen at the end. Um, uh, what else? And uh, and Spring Awakening another, is another one, even though like I, I you know I, I obviously identify less personally with the mechanics of the story, the like the feeling of that show, and like being it you know also being like a teenager in formative years and like uh and uh you know that sort of like generational divide like there's like a lot of places in that show where i was like felt like very emotional so yeah i would say like more often than not it's it's not the ending of a show for me that's interesting that uh spring awakening i saw i didn't see the original production i saw the um the deaf production that mm-hmm. was both with with a deaf cast. Well, I'll tell you, cast. like I saw and that show so like three times the original production, and I thought, well, it's gonna be like it's gonna be like when I have those experiences, it's gonna be impossible to follow. Like when I saw Ragtime, it was impossible to follow. But uh, I thought that that Deaf West production was like even improved upon the original production. It was so great. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I mean, I was I was super moved by many things in that production. But interestingly enough, I don't know if I was moved as much by sort of the story and the songs mm-hmm. as I expected to be. Yeah. Um, because of how much you loved it, and so many people have said what a what a like you know incredible production it what a, what a incredible what an incredible show mm-hmm. it, it is. Um, and and it was very different than what I expected hmm. it to be, but I was still extremely moved on you know on many levels. One of them being um, my Broadway boyfriend Andy Mientos was in it, <laughs> and that was when I that was yes, when we was. really fell in love. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah, I mean, I, anyway. I may want to talk more about that show sometime, but uh, but I feel like for me that show again, it's less plot based. It's more like the music and the general like feeling and spirit of the show is what is what uh, right. moves, right. moves me about it. Yeah. Right. I have been, um, I, th- I think I told you this. I can't remember. I have been moving like around a thousand CDs onto a hard drive. Oh, and, you hadn't done that is, project yet? I have not done that yet. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm ready. You know, I need to downsize in case we have to leave the country quickly, of course. <laughs> and, um, and it, uh, I ran across Duncan Sheik's like, to oh yeah I, I, he, maybe maybe he's had more i don't know but i only had two of his pop cds and i think th- the first one he ever came out with which was, was uh barely breathing of course, I remember that song? I barely breathing yeah yeah day. and i was like Oh my God! Who would have thought that? I know. When I I had a friend in college who was like, he was like very up into like niche musical theater and like knew of like this like Spring Awakening being in development like well before like I had ever heard of it. And I was like, what? Do you mean the guy that sang Barely Breathing? Like it was yeah. like seemed yeah. just so random. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was. I was like, oh, that's that's fascinating. Mm. Um. Anyway, all right. Well. Should we get into the meat? Anything else? No, I think we should get into the meat okay. and potatoes. Okay, okay. So this is um, 
here's my here's my little intro. Uh-oh. Uh I remember seeing this film in the early '90s, and I was oh, wait, so, so you're you're cheating. Excited. You're cheating and doing a film. Let's just point that out. No, you gave me but such it's, shit. It's, hey, it's not a film. It is a film, <laughs> oh, but it's okay, not okay. Um, obviously, it was a different time when life was simpler and better. Though, of course, not better for everyone. That's always the funny thing about looking back, right? When the, when you say, like, you know, people talk about the good old days, like oh, nobody yeah. got divorced. Totally. You know, there was no social services, snatching kids away from their parents. You are talking is, about a musical incomplete. that you love, right? Yeah. Okay. This is my introduction. Huh. This is my okay. introduction. Which is, of course, in complete ignorance to the fact that women were basically, you know, subservient <laughs> to men right. back in the day with little to no choice in their lives, as were children. There were few or no rescues. But there was certainly domestic violence and child abuse. I've been reading a book about trauma, so I'm, I'm very focused on these issues as well as, you know, the issues of the day. When I once believed a person could go to the police if they were in trouble, you know, of course, at this moment in my life, being completely ignorant about the deep history of systemic racism that a lot of time and effort went into making sure was hidden. But back to better times, ignorant times like the Disney Renaissance. Oh, <laughs> The soundtrack was written by my favorite artist of all time at the time, though he still ranks very high. And we were very stoned and getting popcorn at Seth Child Cinema in Manhattan, Kansas, the little apple, it says so, on the hill up north. And we were delighted and moved. It felt to me the way I viscerally knew seeing Snow White and Bambi and Dumbo had felt, even though I I don't really remember those experiences. But, you know, you, you have that sense of like when you were a kid. Uh, So when it was announced that it was going to be a Broadway show and I was in grad school at Ohio University, I very uncharacteristically ran to the record store, which was called School Kids or Street Kids. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't remember for sure. And bought the cast recording. It was one of those rare moments where the original is bested by the adaptation. It was so good. I listened to it endlessly. And it was several years before I was actually able to see it when my parents came to visit me in New York when I saw the production. They took me to three shows during that visit. Reba was starring in Annie Get Your Gun. Yeah. Elton John had a solo gig at Madison Square Garden. Mm -hmm. And this. Speaking of like emotional responses, I wept in the first minute and several times after. It was fucking magical and brilliant and transformative it was also like the epitome of collaboration against all corporate odds and it is also the highest grossing broadway production of all time it is of course the lion king okay exactly exactly so um Probably most of this stuff everybody knows, but the movie was released in 1994. Um, That's a big deal when that came out, that movie. Oh, it was a huge deal. It was was like, would you consider that sort of the end of the Disney Renaissance? I think I would, because, right? So what was after that? Pocahontas, maybe? It was. I feel like. That was not as big of a movie as they expected it to be. It was kind of trailed after that. Um. It had an initial worldwide gross of seven hundred and sixty-six million. Damn. Um, 
It finished its theatrical run as the highest grossing release of 1994, wow. the highest grossing animated film, and the second highest grossing film of all time. It had a stellar cast, including, of course, James Earl Jones and Cheech Marin. Um, the music was by Elton John, lyric by Tim Rice, book by Rogers Allers. And I, okay, so wait, I'm, I'm moving on to the, the, the actual Broadway production. Okay. Uh, book by Rogers Allers and Irene Mechie with additional music and lyrics by Lebo M, Mark Mancina, Jay Rifkin, Julie Taymor, and Hans Zimmer. Just a little side note about Lebo M, because I, I was like, I've heard Lebo M, that name so much, but I didn't really know very much about him. He's a South African producer and composer. He arranged and performed music for the Lion King films and numerous stage productions. He was recommended to Disney by Hans Zimmer, the composer of both adaptations of the Lion King, and was later hired to form and conduct the African choir that sang for the films. Mm. With no formal training in music, he left school at the age of nine to perform music in nightclubs. Uh, he recorded his first single, Celebration, when he was 13 years old, receiving only $20 for recording the record. And when he was 13, he became the youngest performer to sing at the nightclub Club Pelican when he filled in for a backup singer who could not attend. Oh. It's a very, very brief bio about him, but I thought that was pretty fascinating. Totally. Um, the musical debuted on July 8th, 1997 in Minneapolis, Minnesota at the Orpheum Theater before premiering on Broadway at the New Amsterdam Theater on October 15th. 1997 in previews with the official opening on November 13th, 1997. And then in 2006, the Broadway production moved to the Minskoff Theater to make way for the musical version of Mary Poppins, oh. where it was still running after more than 9,000 performances up until May of this pandemic year. It is Broadway's third longest running show in history and has grossed more than $1 billion, making it the highest grossing Broadway production of all time. Over 100 million people worldwide have seen the musical, and it has earned numerous awards and honors, including six Tony Awards, one for Best Musical and Best Direction of a Musical, making director Julie Taymor the first woman to ever earn such an honor. Huh. Okay. I, I, oh. I didn't realize that, but it's also unsurprising. Still, yeah, I was still smart because you know my love of ragtime and it besting ragtime. Although uh, I acknowledge this is a this is a great musical. It really is. the sh uh, the The show opened in West End in October of '99 and is all, was also still running um, after more than 7,500 performances until this year as well. Um, I don't. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I'm not. I mean, I think we're in general agreement here. Okay. I don't think well, I knew I'll, that. I'll, I don't think I knew that you loved this musical actually as much as it seems that really? you do. Yeah, I don't. I don't uh, think I really knew that. Um, I yeah, this came out like I said when I was was as at OU, and li I listened to this thing like. Oh well, I definitely listened the day. to the shit out of this soundtrack. The I mean the, yeah, I mean the the original the movie soundtrack I listened to quite a bit when it came out. Yeah. So yeah. So I almost but honestly feel one, like I listened to that more just because it, it came out. Like what, I'm sure you have this in your notes, but what was the gap? It was a couple of years, right? Between the movie it and was the, at least, right? 94 to 99. Yeah, yeah. That's a chunk of time. But they re they released the cast recording, I think, before the show mm -hmm. opened. Yeah. Um, 
which used to be something that happened right now it's like they almost always have to like open the show they and do see that it's going to make a, a dime before yeah. they make before it they kind of like bother with it yeah yeah that is yeah. true Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess with something like this, with it was, it was, there was no question yeah. in the world that it was going to be yeah. at least, it, at least it was going to fucking yeah. recoup, you know, because unless, you know, King. it's like Disney with the little mermaid, which that was a piece of garbage. That's true. But that's true. That's true. Garbage. So the, the story is simple and timeless. Hamlet, as well as the mm-hmm. biblical stories of Joseph and Moses, are both inspirations. Quickly, as I, you know, like I said, it's hard to believe anyone hasn't seen this or doesn't know the plot, but a king is led to his slaughter, tricked by his dirty dealings brother Scar, who convinces his nephew and the rightful heir to the throne that his father's death is his fault uh, as a result of his recklessness and bravado causing him to flee the land that is rightfully his in shame. A story of betrayal, stealing an election, and ruling by lies and fear. As I said, all very timeless and history repeating itself. Um, and Timon and Pumbaa are, you know, the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern characters in this story that provide uh, vision or focus and also obviously very much comedic relief yeah, yeah from from a very from a very heavy story um oh i just hit Bam. Again. known what i was just you know mimicking your mic oh amplifying um, your mic hit <laughs> known songs the circle of life um i it's interesting that because i love so I'll, I'll, let me finish circle of life can you feel the love tonight Hakuna Matata, Shadowland, mm. Endless Night, He Lives in You. Um, the, the the songs that I grew to probably love the most from the the original soundtrack recording were, I mean, the, the Circle of Life version yeah. is just, you know, mind-blowingly amazing. But it's a great song, even in, the, in its original version. But again, they made it better. And then Shadowland and Endless Night and He Lives in You, which are all additions to the, the score, are all brand new songs that were written for the Broadway production, were just on repeat for me, like constantly. Yeah. I fucking loved those songs. I got to see them they were they were visually as 
um, as stunning and moving as I wanted them to be, which is such a fucking, I mean, that, like, talking about expectations, we've talked about that so many times. It was incredible to me that that show actually met and or exceeded my expectations mm. because they were so high. Did you see it? I think you probably said this at the beginning, but did you, how long into the run did you see it? Was it before or after the Tonys and everything? Um, I saw it in 99, I think. Hmm. So, so again, it's first year. So it could, I, you know what? I probably could look yeah. because I have my Elton John ticket stub, but <laughs> I don't remember a hundred percent. For sure. But I do know that my parents paid a pretty penny for, oh, those, sure. for those tickets. I'm sure. And we had we had like house we got house seats for that and I was on the aisle and you know the elephant was walking by me and I was just like weeping. And I think both of my parents were <laughs> so, like, uh, Is everything okay? What is going on? And there's a kid and in the like, audience. It's they're so like, beautiful. They're like, What's wrong with that man, mommy? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's theater. It's theater. Um yeah, I mean, you know, this was like. I, I, it's, <laughs> Sorry, I'm it's laughing. Just, I'm like, I don't think just, anybody was weeping when when the cats walked through the audience during Cats, which is like <laughs> <laughs> similar but different theatrical experience. <laughs> um, it's it's so yeah. I mean, yeah. I've already said the wait. I already said those two first things, but. And, and also, I said the thing about Julie Taymor being the first woman to win a Tony for direction mm-hmm. of a musical. Um, and this production, probably, when I was, I looked at her bio for just a little bit, and, and this production <laughs> probably, you know, defines her career yeah. or more than any other thing, even though she has a, a obviously, a very healthy resume, a very varied resume. Um, it, it's probably this and Spider-Man that most people know her people from. Yeah. Well, you know, they revoked no. her. They revoked her Lion King, Tony, because of Spider-Man. They actually asked for her to return it. No, they didn't. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, of course. But... Oh, my. <laughs> I was like, I wonder if he'll believe me. <laughs> oh, that, that would be is... funny, though. Like, if you just did something that was such an abomination that they're like, no, sorry, you got to take, you, gotta, you have to return your, your previously earned Tony. <clears throat> well, it's, it's, it's so fucked up. Cause Spider-Man was sort of in a lot of ways, a very similar, um, corporate oh, yeah. you know, project. Yeah. yeah, yeah. A, a, it, it had all of this money behind it. It had fucking U2 writing terrible right. songs for it. It had Julie Taymor at, at the helm, after having all of this success with um, with the Lion King. Well, you know, it's like it's lightning in a bottle, but sometimes it's like, I mean, obviously in this case, it's like the story of the Lion King is so strong, you know? Yes. You can like, you can yes. add all of those add-ons where she is adding something too, but 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 the there is something there to begin with, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's true. But then you look at something like um, we both saw in Butterfly, right? Did you <laughs> yeah, see that show? Yeah, I think show? we already talked about that, too, on those. Yeah, I mean, I know we talked yeah. about it, but there's another just like clunker where I feel like there is a wonderful story there. Yeah, that's like, true. I remember reading that play and studying that play and being very moved and interested by it. That is and, true. Um, and and then seeing that production and just like like shaking my head in absolute disbelief. Yeah. Um. I was the just saying thing. when it's really just window dressing, it's like it's obviously going to yeah. be an empty theatrical experience. 
Yes, yes. There, there was, but again, it's just like that's hard for me because you um, two also. I mean, you two and Elton John were. I those were my two. Like I would have said, you two is my favorite band. Mm. Like for a long time, and Elton John was my favorite artist wow. for a long time. Talk about dated and references. No, I'm just. Kidding. I know, I know. But <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love and, Elton and, John. I think I'm ambivalent about and, you two, but. And look at the and look at the the schlock that was made for Spider Man. It was just it was really you know it was very sad. Um, I uh, I also saw this movie Titus, which I wanted to bring up, which was I th- I don't think it was her first film, but uh, you know I'm not a, a Shakespeare aficionado by any stretch, and I would say for the most part I really don't appreciate or like Shakespeare, but I do think that Titus Andronicus is a is one of the more interesting plays, and I went on a first date to see this movie, which I think was like three and a half hours long. Wait, this is, and a, just, this is a Julie Taymor thing? This is a Julie Taymor huh, film, okay. yes. That was also from like either like very end of the 90s or it probably i'm sure it have it would have also happened after lion king so it was probably like 2000 yeah yeah yeah. before i met you for sure and i it was like one of the hottest guys i'd ever gone on a date with and it was just by the end of it we both wanted to like slice our wrists and (laughs) that was the only date that we had sadly oh um I also saw another production of hers, which was right before The Lion King, called Wandarian, which was also, um, you know, a puppet-based uh, uh, show. She was nominated for two Tonys for that show, and that was another thing that I just found. Um, I, I was, I, I think, I slept through like most of the show. Wow. Um, well, you know, most artists are hit or miss. Uh, I yeah. mean, she, I will say that she did a good job with the Mets, uh, our production of uh, Die Zauberflute, also known as the Magic Flute, Mozart's, oh, Mozart's I was reading about, okay. the Magic okay. Flute, uh, and like what, what she lends to a production, like lent itself to that story and to that opera and saw the puppetry and the fantastical costumes and everything. Like it, it really like was fantastic and like right we kept that right we've kept that production as long as we have because it did work so yeah it, i don't know it, yeah she's she's definitely one of those hit or miss hit or miss yeah directors yeah. i i mean it's something that we just don't sort of allow i think or mm. or think about that often when we talk about artists and certainly like i mean you know maybe we just but i guess because spider-man was such a colossal right miss that it 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 still like permeates totally conversations and and sort of the the artistic consciousness or the theater consciousness in new york totally. for sure but whereas like two um, months I, after m butterfly closing i think most people forgot it just ever existed it, so exactly 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 it'll exactly. be like suzanne um, summer's one woman show like i'm i'm solely exactly. responsible for uh keeping that memory alive <laughs> Carrying that, carrying that. Um, I do want to see Frida, which I have heard is amazing, and I do want to see Across the Universe, which I have never seen. Oh, I've never seen that either. Um, and and did you know that she uh, uh, she was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Song for Frida? She was really? one of the the songwriters of note for the huh. the theme song "Burn It Blue," which I haven't even ever heard. So I I need to listen to that. But I thought that was. Um, fascinating. Wow. No idea. Literally no idea. Literally no idea. Literally. Literally. So, 
Um, yeah, I mean, you know, The Lion King is gorgeous. It's uh, it it's it's one of those shows that, as an adult, as a theater artist, as a child, like you can really take anyone to see that, and it is so fucking universal in like like we said the story is simple but so strong uh you invest in it immediately and what she has done visually is just it is it is uh it is true theatrical brilliance so that is what i have to say about the lion king yeah i remember uh when i read elton john's biography uh recently which i feel like is called me Right? The name of his biography? I think so. Yeah. I think so. I mean, talk about self-centered. No. Um, he. Uh, I remember him talking <laughs> about Lion King uh, and that it was like, I mean, obviously it's Disney, but that it was like considered a little bit of a risk, uh, you know, at the time, only because like, you know, they had been sort of like remaking fully established stories, you know, like uh, Little Mermaid. That's like a Hans Christian Andersen like fable, right? Um and uh and so this was basically original though like you said there were all of those like inspirations like hamlet and everything um yeah yeah yeah. um and then he went on to do lestat so (laughs) yeah and aida and aida although you know at least he got some coin some coin out of that one since some serious as we discussed serious coin inexplicably that ran for a while Wait, when did you see, do you saw The Lion King, right? I did. It was definitely like a lot later. Um, I mean, I don't feel like I saw it until, like, I, it was definitely not like high on my agenda for whatever reason, even though like I really liked the film and everything. So I don't, I don't feel like I saw it until like my first full year or even second year into, into living in New York. So probably like, yeah, to sometime in 2001 and 02. I think I probably saw it, you know, during a during a parental visitation. Um, I think I did see it during a matinee. So the kid, I remember the kid quotient was pretty high, but I did have house seats. So I had really good seats. So they were like, yeah, I was yeah. like eighth row orchestra center. Uh, so I definitely got like the full experience and, and yeah, I really enjoyed it. But um, yeah, I wouldn't say it was like, I don't, I wouldn't say I'm ambivalent about it. I really, really, really enjoyed it, but I have, I haven't, it didn't like resonate deeply with me and I didn't feel like I needed to go back and see it three more times. I was kind of like, okay, like that. Yeah. Yeah. I could sort of feel like how I felt like Hamilton about like, oh, I totally understand why this is like such a successful musical and why people love this. But I wasn't, you know, I was not weeping at the elephant. Right. I was not weeping at the elephant like you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well. But I do love it a lot of the lot. music, particularly, I, actually, I like all of the songs that you cited are for sure my favorites. And I like a lot of the like more interstitial music, the, yeah. the actual, yeah. yeah, like that stuff is like what I think is like really cool. Um, you know, and some of the songs feel like a little more like, like Elton John, you know, uh, what am I trying to say? Like adult contemporary. Well, <laughs> like, can, can you, you feel, feel the love like tonight? That song? I've always been like, a, oh my god. <laughs> can you feel? And you know, the thing is, in the show, can you feel the love tonight is actually kind of disappointing mm-hmm. because you got used to the movie version, and it, and then it just felt like an Elton John song, right? Um, but the other songs make up for it. And, and remind I think, me who sang the like radio version that they would play like 
endlessly when the film came out. Do you remember? He did. Oh, you're right. It was him. Okay, so who was the yeah. who, was the, who who sang her part? There, it was just a solo. Really? Yeah, that's why it was so weird because it was just over the montage oh. of them of them courting. And, I assumed and, you know, it was like you know how they would everything. always do those like adult contemporary like Aladdin type thing where it'd be like I don't even remember who did those, but it'd be like. Peebo, what's his name? Peebo Bryson or whatever. Peebo, I think. Peebo <laughs> right, Bryson. Right, right, right. And it'd be like like a low rent version of like Celine Dion. Like, I gotta, uh, I know what I'm trying well, to say. I'm gonna have to go back and find some of this adult you're, you're contemporary talk- No, you're talking about like Written in the Stars, which was sung by Elton John and Leanne Rimes for Aida. Like, that's <laughs> right. the kind of thing you're talking Correct. about. Correct. Where it's like, but this soft, this was not like contemporary. That. Like, yeah, no, huh? No, I, I, I'm remembering now, but I think, I think I just assumed they put out one of those, but of course it's Elton John. So he's like, no, no, I'll release it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at that moment, he was he was not sort of like, yeah. It was he was still popular enough mm-hmm. that um, that he could that, that song command was still a, at least an adult contemporary hit. You yeah. Know? Oh boy. But yeah, that uh, that was the main one I remember kind of rolling my eyes at. But yeah. I mean, also Hakuna Matata is kind of lame, but uh, but I get I get that it serves a purpose in the in the score. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, you know. yeah. Fun. Hakuna Matata. What a wonderful phrase. Hakuna Matata. Ain't no peasant craze. It means no worries for the rest of your days. It's our problem free philosophy. Hakuna Matata. Hakuna Matata? Have we ever written a song that's fun? Just simply fun, probably not. Uh, probably not. No, I don't think so. We've, I think we've tried. <laughs> we've certainly tried. <laughs> <laughs> but it has to be fucked up and fun yeah. in order for it to be successful. I believe. Yeah, I think so. so. Um, so are we? What, what's happening? Where I think I? we're moving on. I mean, I said I said my piece. That's that's what I got All to right. say about the Lion King. Um, so let's move on Dude. to wait. So this is a musical that you hate. Yes. I'm going to say dislike. Yeah. yeah. Dislike. Oh. I have zero intro prepared. Let's just, let me just put that out there. Uh, simply because it isn't worth it. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah, just it wasn't worth my time to put together an introduction. Um, so I'm just, you know, going to go right into it. And in the, in the the musical that I dislike is Bye Bye Birdie. Do you know this at all? I don't know it it's, hardly at all. It's fine. You don't need to know it. Um, 
Bye Bye Birdie is a stage musical with a book by Michael Stewart. Lyrics by Lee Adams, Lee Adams, excuse me, and music by Charles Strauss. Um, this musical is set in 1958, and why, yes, it does feel so very 1950s. Um, the story was inspired by Elvis Presley and his draft notice into the army of 1950 into the army in 1957. Uh, the rock star character's name in the show is Conrad Birdie, which is wordplay on the name of Conway Twitty, who I'm sure you've heard of. Yes, yeah. Oh yeah. Twitty of is course. best remembered today for his long career as a country music star, but in the late 1950s, he was actually one of Presley's rock and roll rivals, which I did not know that. I only knew of him as like a you know cheesy country. Uh, what i didn't know that he was a i didn't know that right? for sure maybe we'll have to do a little no. more research on that but seems no. to be a thing he's saying he's saying tight fitting jeans do you remember that song so tonight i left those crystal candlelights to live a dream and partner there's a tiger in these tight fitting jeans no, I'm happy to say that I Con- don't. I only Conway know of him because of when, a song I only know of him because of when Family jeans. Guy does those like cutaways, those long cutaways oh! to Conway Twitty. <laughs> oh, we I know of him because we listen to fucking eight tracks of, of oh, Conway Twitty. Wow, so that's taking it back. Um, speaking of taking it back, the original 1960 to 61 Broadway production was a Tony Award-winning success. It spawned a London production and several major revivals. A sequel, a 1963 film, and a 1995 television production, which I'll get into some of that a little later. Uh, The show also became a popular choice for high school and college productions, uh, which is basically how I first came to experience it. Um, So I was in a summer youth regional production of this show at the Indianapolis Civic Theater in the late 1990s. Uh, I didn't actually ever audition for this musical. Some of my friends were already cast in it. Um, It was the summer after I graduated high school before starting college. I was, I was too young, obviously to really hit the town. And it it was like that weird, you know, that weird in between time between high school and college. Uh, And I essentially just needed something to do other than the really sad part-time job I was working at at the time. Um, I think, I, I, as I vaguely recall, they needed some more male dancers or something. Um, and so one of my friends told the director, like, hey, you should cast my friend Scott. I think there was a phone call, and then it, and then I was just like kind of involved. Um, I remember being pretty ambivalent. I did did not know the show, um, and I mostly okay. I was going to ask no, if you if you had known beforehand. Did what not you were know the into. show at all. I mostly just wanted like an excuse to to socialize. Um, Quick aside on my part-time job at the time, it was fairly bleak, as most part-time jobs for a teenager tend to be. Which, as, as soon as I describe what my job was, I kind of want to—I kind of want to ask you what yours were. Um, so I worked—I worked in the mailroom of some company. I want to say they sold insurance, but I feel like that can't be right because it was like in a factory. Um, and all I did at this job was sort mail. It was like super mo- mundane. So I had a Walkman. That's how old I am. I had a Walkman, uh, and I would oh yeah, I would, and I would listen to like the local shock jock radio program, which was called the. It was this duo, Bob and Tom, um, and I remember there was like all the the fodder at the time was like Bill and Bill and Hillary and Monica because it was like 
squarely in the middle oh, of that wow. scandal. You know, they're talking about the dress and this and that. Um, uh, so, which incidentally would have made a lot better musical than Bye Bye Birdie, which I'm kind of wondering, has somebody ever done a musical of that scandal? Like, I'm sure they must have. Like, I would be shocked if somebody hasn't done a Bill and Hillary and Monica uh, musical. Do you know? That would be a fun 15 minute musical, actually. Right? We could like write a, a series of, of 15 minute political musicals. Yeah. Like, obviously, because that's have all like you can take, you know? Based on, have a little bit of a, a twist in there. But uh, uh, remember how, this is a quick aside, remember how our friend Desiree was super obsessed with uh, Monica and then like, bought all of yes. her, like most of her purse line? Like, yes, that's yes. one of my favorite details about Desiree. And you know that, like, I'm, I'm sure I, when I was working at TED for that year and within, I don't know, oh. the six six or seven weeks that I was there, yeah. like, Monica Lewinsky walks into the office oh because they have this program where if you're a TED speaker on, like, the sort of main, like, on the big stage, on the big TED stage, then you, you're you sort of like an alumni, right? Yeah, you yeah, become yeah, yeah. A, a red circle uh, alumni, I believe, is what they called them. And when she walked in, I texted Desiree like <laughs> oh in the God. in the meeting, and I was like, "I am in a meeting <laughs> with Monica Lewinsky, by the way." And she was like, "How oh my God, I can't believe it!" <laughs> oh yeah, but I had like to, I really one. wanted to ask for a picture, but I but it just yeah. was not you know I it think, wasn't like, appropriate to date, at the she's time. Number one fan, so which you know Monica's pretty cool. I, I get it. Um, yeah, so I was at this like job listening to bob and tom at the end of the summer actually the manager who was he was actually a very quiet gentle sweet man he offered me a full-time job as a forklift operator um which i gently turned him down to explain i was heading to college <laughs> in the fall but it is a funny mental picture of me like driving a forklift oh uh, right? <laughs> it's not knocking forklift operators it's just funny to imagine oh, god no me god, um, no god no so, i i got to drive because speaking of like yeah, high school jobs yeah, yeah, or yeah. teenage jobs like i drove I mean, I worked at my father's hardware store all during high school, yep, and I yep, yep. I did drive a forklift, and I, of course, like who wouldn't want to drive no, a forklift? It's a I, really fun like, thing to do. Super it's fun also thing for a teenager to do. Yeah, yeah. It's also like kind of difficult when you actually have to like do things with it. It's for not. Sure. It's not easy. It's it not requires a, skill. It's not a joyride. You have to like yeah, position yeah. the thing. I'm sure there's a lot of controls and everything involved. Yeah. yeah, and 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 like sensitivity mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. the 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 thing. Yeah. But I also was a DJ. Oh. I had a shift on Sunday mornings from six a.m. to noon, so I had to get up at like four thirty in the morning and drive down to the um, the radio station. Wow. And my 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 uh, DJ name was Alex Tyler. Oh my god! Wait, were, you got paid which, for this? I got paid. Oh my I got god! Paid. Yeah. I had like a. Yeah. I had. I was a DJ and had a show in college, but I, I didn't get paid for it. I just did it for fun, and it was we had the worst time slot. It was like legitimately three in the morning or something. Well, I'm sure that I got paid minimum wage, which was at that moment like what three dollars oh, and yeah. fifty cents totally. or something. Totally. And then I also worked at two different video stores yeah. as a clerk. So I had, I had. Wow, your jobs I, were I would a say, lot cooler. See, I thought you were going to be like, yeah, I had this sad job, this sad job, but no, I kind of wish I had your jo your teenage jobs. Um, so back to the mailroom. 
Actually, can we just keep yes. talking about teenage? Jo- I really don't want to talk about Bye Bye Birdie. Yeah, so I'll say one other thing about the mailroom, which is the only other person <laughs> who worked in that mailroom was like super memorable. He was this morbidly obese gun enthusiast um, who owned some like absurd number of guns. And he talked about them like all the fucking time. And it was just like one of many personality quirks. Um that he had? Yeah. Or... Oh, that he had. And this was actually pre-Columbine. But I remember distinctly thinking at the time, like, holy shit, this dude is terrifying. I should probably be, like, extra nice in case he decides to come in and, like, shoot the place up. So, like, how, old, how old was he? Oh, God. I don't know. I want to say, like, late 40s, early 50s. Like, not healthy. Okay, like, okay. Not a healthy human being. So, it's like, right, hard to right, say. Right, 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 right. But to add to this, like, nagging thought, like, there was talk of layoffs at the time because uh, they were starting to automate some of this work. So, I, so I was, every time you talked to me, I'd be like, ha, 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 like, totally overly compensating. Um, which, which of course, then just meant that he would talk to me all the time. So of like, course, if you respond, exactly. Did you so. did you make sure that he knew that you weren't trying to take his job? Oh yes, I was a, I was there. It was in and out. I was there for th- two and a half months. Like, like I was like, let me befriend this crazy person. Um, so I, you know, that that was probably the start of my perfecting the smile and nod, along with like poppy hour. I don't remember if we've talked about that in this. Uh, in this podcast, but uh, but our our dearly departed friend Poppy Kramer had a uh, had a comedy hour at the duplex, and well, Poppy it was, was was Tuesdays, right? I believe sure. was it Tuesdays yeah. or Wednesdays? Yeah, I don't remember which weekday, but it was like you know right after it was like happy hour, so thus Poppy hour. Uh, it was like sort of right after work, and we go and meet there. But there was uh, there were comedians, and some were funny, some were not so funny. <laughs> Well, and 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 the other part of it is that if you got there before 6 yeah. p.m., you could sign up. And if you got signed up, then you went on, which means yeah. that sometimes poppy hour was two hours and 49 minutes long <laughs> right. because there were so many comics. And if we got there and got a place at that bar, yeah. we were not leaving until the last comic spoke. <laughs> Because <laughs> Poppy would just keep replacing that fucking beer, and yes. we would keep drinking it. Well, and then also we were the audience, because everyone else in the yeah. quote audience were the comics that were waiting to go on. So it's like right, and most like this, of them, as soon as they went on, they would leave. Yeah. <laughs> there was <laughs> so like this outsized focus on on you as an audience member. So yeah, it was like, <laughs> it's like anyway. <clears throat> It was good. Li- it was. A I good think al- we did talk about that I once because did. I feel like we talked about that really angry guy. Oh yes, just right. He would kept come getting up and more and more angry. Same, but what was so twisted is he bomb with the same material every week. Yeah, was like, what? and then he would still get mad yeah. at you for not laughing at <laughs> yeah. him. And we were like, oh my god. I mean, speaking about the the you know coming back in, I was like, this guy's oh god, gonna come totally. in and, and for sure. destroy people for sure, for sure, for sure. Yeah, so... Okay. Anyway, Bye Bye Birdie. What does this have to do with Bye Bye Birdie? I know. Well, I just want to give you a backdrop. So, yeah, so most evenings, after trying to not get shot in a workplace grievance incident, I I would leave... I would leave that job, climb into my 1988 white Ford Taurus, which had a broken air conditioner, and I would I would drive from 
downtown Indianapolis with a fan that plugged into the cigarette lighter and blew like boiling hot air from the dashboard into my face to rehearsal, to bye-bye birdie rehearsals. This was all just backdrop that like maybe I wasn't in the best (laughs) frame of mind to receive this show. Um, I'm actually not sure that summer if I ever got a sense of this show as a whole. I mean, when you're in a show in like, I was in a show as an as as a basically as a bit part as like manic dancing teenager number three from the left. You really only experience the chorus numbers and like bits and pieces of the principal scenes, um, which you just kind of view from the wings. Um, but from what I could discern, the show was like garbage. So I, I don't want to dig too deep into the details. What is it about? Yeah. So p- plot. Yeah. So here uh, it's pretty stupid, but here's the setup. Um, New York based songwriter and former English school teacher, Albert Peterson finds himself in trouble when his client hip thrusting rock and roll superstar and teen idol Conrad Birdie is drafted into the army, leaving his heavily indebted firm in jeopardy. Albert's secretary, Rosie Alvarez, comes up with a last-ditch publicity stunt to have Conrad Birdie record and perform a song before he's sent overseas. Rosie's plan is to have Birdie sing, quote, one last kiss and give one lucky girl, chosen randomly from his fan club, a real last kiss on the Ed Sullivan show before going into the army. Um, The girl, the chosen girl, uh, she lives in Sweet Apple, Ohio, and she already has a boyfriend, Hugh. When Conrad comes into town, jealousy and chaos and hijinks ensue. Uh, at the end of the show, Conrad leaves town and escapes to Pumpkin Falls, Iowa, to go back to being an English teacher, now engaged to his assistant, Rosie, and happy to abandon his life as a New York songwriter in favor of the simple life. It's very much this aw shucks, apple pie, small town is paradise sort of story. Um Except, Wait, so he doesn't have to go to the army? No, no, no. I'm talking about it's his the main character is uh is his his is his agent. Is his agent. So who is a former English teacher. So Wait, his name is not Conrad Birdie. No, Conrad Birdie is the Elvis dude. Is the Elvis okay, that he's okay, okay, representing okay. that comes into town to kiss the girl because of this marketing ploy. But yes, the main character yeah, is the is the agent guy who he's the one that sort of abandons his life as a New York songwriter to go live in small town in small town, okay. Iowa. Yeah, except, you know, it's, it's, yeah. So it's this small town as paradise story, except it's not quite paradise because it's small town America in the 1950s. So, you know, as you sort of said er- earlier, it's paradise for some, perhaps. Yes, um, yes, yes. <laughs> as, and, hi- and everything else is hidden. Totally, and that's what makes And totally. that's what makes it so, like, nostalgic mm-hmm. for some. Yeah, you know? yes. Because you didn't fucking know what Make the horrible things that were going on. Again. So, you know, yeah, as yeah, such, yeah. some plot points, I think, in the show haven't aged so well. I mean, I will say it's generally... A, tough and a little unfair to go back and judge a product of its time like six literally 60 years later but but still um one of the songs in this show is put on a happy face which is a big song from the show which i'm sure you know 
Um, oh god, yeah. I didn't realize that that was from that. No, right? I'm no, I would, I you, would, no, I had no idea. Exactly. And what I didn't remember when I was researching the show again is that Albert sings it. You know, the main character Albert sings it to a teenage girl in New York after Conrad leaves to go to Ohio, and she's sad because she thinks that by the time Conrad gets out of the army, she'll be too old for him. It's like a teenage girl, like that. I was like, what? That's kind of weird also like i tried to Ugh. look up the movie to be like oh is there like some scene before it because i'm like can that really be true because i'm reading this right but i couldn't find it so i need to look closer because i'm like that is so messed up that she's like a so she's girl, like in high she, school right? and she thinks that right. when she and then when he, when he gets put back on a happy face to her which i'm like what the fuck that's fucked up oh my god um why look so awfully tragic Put on a happy face. Smiling can work like magic. Put on a happy face. Take off the gloomy mask of tragedy. It's not your style. You look so good that you'll be glad you decided to smile. And like dancing around. Uh, okay, so another fun tidbit is when the curtain comes up, we learn that his assistant, Rosie, is also his on and off again girlfriend of eight years, which is a bit like, uh, like he's her employer, essentially. Um, we also learn that Albert is very weak and that he's domineered by his mother, May who her character stampedes into town at some point halfway through act one with the one and only purpose of breaking up her son's relationship with Rosie. And the reason she doesn't like Rosie is because she's Hispanic and she tries to set her son up with a curvy blonde that she met on the bus on the way into town. Um, Wow. Albert eventually tells his mom to F off in the end. Um, so it's sort of like this faux woke thing. And then and then a bit later, Rosie sings a song about May called Spanish Rose, where she says that despite being a natural born citizen from Pennsylvania, she intends to play up her Hispanic heritage just to piss her off. And then she sings a bunch of ridiculous lyrics in a faux Spanish accent. I'll read some. I'm just a Spanish tamale, according to May, right off the boat from the topics, the tropics far, far away, which is kind of funny since where I come from is Allentown, PA. Spanish. Okay, May, I'll be Spanish right after I've married Alberto. I'll be the toast of Chichi Castanengo and all day long my castanets will click. I'll hide behind my fan and do the tango. I'll be so Spanish it'll make you sick. I'll eat the tacos and the enchilada. I'll drink tequila till I feel no pain the only song i'll sing will be granada i'll be more espanol than abby lane cuckoo la cucaracha so call me the wild spanish rose the craziest flower that grows i'll kick up my heels and see how it feels to be the sultry spanish rose ole i'll be the toast of chichi castanango and all day long my castanets will click i'll hide behind my fan and do the tango I'll be so Spanish, it will make you sick. I'll eat the tacos and the enchilada. I'll drink tequila till I feel no pain. The only song I'll sing will be Granada. I'll be more... Oh, my God. So you can get the gist. It's like a bit... So is it, is it like, is it 
you know, progressive or is it's it just like horribly stereotyped sort like, of I reductive? I looked up YouTube and I literally found this clip of like, you know, it was clearly some like, because this is done like so often. Right. Like high school right, college. Right. So it was like this like whiter than white girl, probably like in Iowa, like singing this song. And it was like, I feel bad for you that you have to, to sing this song. Oh my god! So wait, the 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 agent. Yeah, Rosie is the girl who wins the contest. No, no, I did such a bad explaining. To, to, god, you're I not am so confused. Or, no, no, no. The no, girl. I think it's I. I think it's you for the, in this in this instance. Sometimes it's me, but I think it's I you. Mean, in I this was instance. explicitly. So there's two men. There's the agent and the singer. Yes. They have a contest in Ohio. Yes. Where the girl in Ohio gets to kiss the singer. Yes. But the agent goes with the singer to Ohio and meets Rosie. How does he meet no, Rosie? No. Rosie, he's known for eight years. That's his on and off again girlfriend who's assistant. Oh, Rosie is the assistant? Yes. yes. Rosie sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay, assistant. I thought that was May. May no, is May the mother. May is the racist mother. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. And okay. Kim and So Hugo what happens to the girl the who wins the contest? I don't remember. <laughs> oh. I didn't focus on that. Uh, uh, Hugo, the young, the young lover, uh, like her boyfriend, is very jealous. So that's a big plot point. Uh, okay, okay. I mean, Kim doesn't end up with Conrad as long as, as much as I recall. I don't know. I don't know. Like I said, I was third, third dancing boy from the right. <laughs> <laughs> you said from the left originally. Oh, okay, from I the left. Point out from the left. Okay. Um, all right, all right. I think I understand. You think, okay, but you okay. get okay. You got the basic characters now. Yes. Yeah. Yes. No. Rosie is the assistant. The assistant who is also the girlfriend. Got it. And then at the end, the fiance. Um, the music. I mentioned at the top that the music was by Charles Strauss, infamous to me because of Annie. Um, oh, yeah, actually, legit. I was going to ask yeah. you if there were any other, like, if this was a one-off. But okay, yeah. so he wrote the music for yeah. Annie as well. I actually, legitimately, don't think I ever knew or connected that he wrote the music to the show. Like, I already picked that this was the show I was going to bitch about, and then I like looked it up and I was like, seriously? <laughs> I was like, I think I need to start like a Charles Strauss like hate club or something. But um, oh my god, I was so interested weird. to learn that this was like his and his this creative team like their very first show basically like the creative team was a bunch of relative unknowns when this first hit broadway um but like to me the score is very similar to annie it's very tuneful okay. and relentlessly upbeat and over and over i use the term cloying because it's the most apt um like one of the the chorus songs this is uh the telephone hour which you might know this I I know that I yeah. know that I was song. Like, you know this yeah. from the film uh, came out a few years later in 1963. That I'm also reasonably sure they used to play it at Musical Mondays at Splash, which was a, yeah. a gay yeah. party on Monday evenings at the now defunct yeah. Splash, uh, where they would play video clips of of musical theater. Um, in this Definitely. scene, all the teenagers in the town are on their phones catching up on the latest gossip on how 15 year old Kim McAfee and Hugo Peabody are going steady. It's a lot of quick edits to match the short gossipy musical phrases and like these sort of Brady Bunch as squares with the voices over when the voices overlap. Did you hear about Hugo and Kim? Hi, Margie. Hi, Alice. What's a story? Morning glory. What's a word? Hummingbird. Have you heard about Hugo and Kim? 
Did they really get pinned? Did she kiss him and cry? Did he pin the pin on? Or was he too shy? Well, I heard they got pinned. Yeah, yeah. I was hoping they would. Uh -huh. Now they're living at last. Though it's said he forgot. Hello, Mr. Hankel. This is Harvey Johnson. As like a two-bit regional theater chorister, I can say this was the only number that was actually sort of fun to perform. Uh, the rest of the sh of the show, our direction was pretty much like run around on stage and act like a maniac whenever Conrad comes on stage. Um, <clears throat> speaking of Conrad, the other big chorus number that I can remember that I remembered when I looked up the score was uh, quote a lot of living to do, uh, where it's so this song it's Conrad's last night out as a civilian. And he gets all the sweet apple teens stoked to go out and party uh, with some super fun, icky lyrics like this. There are chicks just ripe for some kissing, and I mean to kiss me a few. Then those chicks don't know what they're missing. I got a lot of living to do. There are men of 19 or 20 who are suave and reckless and true. Older men who give a girl plenty. I've got a lot of living to do. There are chicks just right for some kissing And I mean to kiss me a few Man, those chicks don't know what they're missing I got a lot of living to do <laughs> I read those lyrics like, that's gross I'm like, I don't think anybody ever focuses on it because it's so, like, jaunty. But anyway. <laughs> um, it's amazing what you, what you can do. You dig and, a little and, and deeper. And get away with. Exactly. As long gotta, as it doesn't, yeah, it's... it's, it's set it to it's a happy just, tune. They'll just eat it up. <laughs> um, one more. Okay, there's this really dumb song okay. right at the top of the show that Kim sings called How Lovely to Be a Woman. We'll do a quick dramatic reading of these lyrics and then let's play a fun little game where you guess whether it was written by a man. <clears throat> <laughs> when you're a skinny girl of 15, wide with braces from ear to ear, you doubt that you will ever be appealing. Then hallelujah, you're 16 and the braces disappear and your skin is smooth and clear and you have that happy grown-up female feeling. How lovely to be a woman, the wait was well worthwhile. How lovely to wear mascara and smile a woman's smile. How lovely to have a figure that's round instead of flat. Whenever you hear boys whistle, you're what they're whistling at. It's wonderful to feel the way a woman feels. It gives you such a glow just to know you're wearing lipstick and heels. How lovely to be a woman and have one job to do, to pick out a boy and train him. And then when you are through, you've made him the man you want to be. Life's lovely when you're a woman like me. How lovely to be a woman, the wait was well worthwhile. How lovely to wear mascara and smile a woman's smile. How lovely to have a figure that's round instead of flat. Whenever you hear boys whistle, you're what they're whistling at. It's wonderful to Oh my god! In case this you really goes back to my little Lion King introduction, <laughs> right, doesn't it? Totally. I was like, "This is oh. like uh, when you were giving the introduction." I'm like, "This is gonna gel well with what yeah. I wanted to talk about." So, in case you hadn't guessed, 
this was written by a man. <laughs> the lyrics were by oh. Lee Adams. Um, the reception to the show, uh, it was a hit on Broadway. Uh, it ran 607 performances and gen- uh, had generally positive reviews. It was nominated for seven Tonys and won four for Best Musical, Best Performance by a Featured Actor for Dick Van Dyke. Uh, and for best, oh, wow. yeah, and for best direction in choreography for Gower Champion, I was not really familiar with that name. Uh, and the original cast, in addition to Dick Van Dyke, who played uh, the main character, uh, Cheetah Rivera was Rosie. Uh, oh my gosh! And Paul Lind of Bewitched oh. in Hollywood oh, Squares. Yeah. He oh, played yeah. he played the the two teenage lovers. They're like grumpy parents. Um, so he played this World War II veteran and strong conservative who's like utterly dismayed at the baby boomer, baby boomer generation. Uh, I didn't really talk about those oh, characters wow. much. They're a little one note. They're just like, I don't like the younger generation. Um, anyway, but I thought that was fun that uh, Paul. And wait, and- did they, he, they played it on stage and, and in the film or just stage? So stage. Okay. Film, I'm re- uh, I don't remember if he played it in the film. I may have to look that up, but I will. I do. And I was going to talk about the film right here, which it came out three years later in 1963. Um, I've only seen a couple clips from the movie and not as a whole. So I had to look this up. Uh, several significant changes were made in the plot and character relationships in the film version. Albert is not Bertie's agent, but a chemist who's struggling as a songwriter only to please his mother, who's overbearing and insensitive, but not racist, as in the musical. Uh, The film version also includes an additional character, a suave English teacher who flirts with Rosie. Uh, The positioning and context of several songs were evidently changed as well. Um, Dick Van Dyke... So wait, what was their connection then if if he wasn't his agent? Uh, if he wasn't his agent, um, he, he, it he must wrote be the a songwriter song that... component. He must okay. have like he must have like written the song. Okay, yeah, okay, like that must be. Um, so Dick Van Dyke and other members of the Broadway production were pissed with the film adaptation due to a focus shift on Kim, who's the young girl who was played by Anne Margaret. Uh, uh, Dick Van Dyke stated that Birdie was a romp on Broadway, but they Hollywoodized the movie. They made it a vehicle for Anne Margaret, uh, is what he said. Paul Lind, who played Mr. McAfee on stage and and in the film, so there you go. He later quipped, "They should have retitled it." Hello, Anne Margaret. Um, <laughs> good time picturing him quip that. Oh, totally. Uh, <laughs> they cut several of my and the other actors' best scenes and shot new ones for her, so she could do her teenage sex bombshell act. Uh, wow, Susan, poor Anne Margaret. I know, right? Susan Jesus. Watson. Wasn't she a young? She was young, young yeah, then, yeah, wasn't young. she? Yeah, <laughs> they were just like lambasting down on her. <laughs> New York actor. It was just like lambasting her. Uh, it wasn't her fault. No, I know, but uh, it's pretty funny though. Susan Watson, who created the role of Kim on Broadway, later said, "Anyone who likes the film didn't see the show. Like they were not a happy bunch." <laughs> wow. Um. Not too much else here that I wanted to say. Uh, there was a 1990 tour with Tommy Toon and Anne Ranking. I remember that. Really? I, I remember, remember that. Um, and then, This is funny. And then a 1995 TV movie version starring Jason Alexander and Vanessa Williams. And guess who played Kim? What? And guess who played Kim? You'll never guess. 
because I, I was like, I, it was Elizabeth this, Shue. I mean, that's a good one in terms of like random, but like uh, China Phillips. What? Like as like Wilson Phillips, like China right. Phillips. It, uh, China married William Baldwin, I think, right? She did? I think, he, oh, I, I, think, I think she's everything the one who married, yeah. No, everything about that sentence was very 1990s, but... That is <laughs> fucking crazy. I don't right? remember that at all. Was it a made-for-TV movie? Uh, yeah. yeah. Had to have been. Television Had thing. to have been. Yeah, okay. Um, and then two more things, two more iterations, uh, and one, well, actually one of them, a non, non-event. But uh, in 2009, there was a Broadway revi- revival, which I totally don't remember, starring John Stamos and Gina Gershon. And I completely wish I'd seen this because it sounds like oh a travesty. Um, how did, how do, how do, <laughs> both of us have no, I literally Zero. have no idea of that. And I'm Zero. like, I feel Never like I heard of it. gone to see Never that heard of in it. the same way that I wanted to see Suzanne Summers. Like there was, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Oh, and guess who played young Hugo? You'll love this, but none other than Matt Doyle. <gasps> he played really? like the yeah the the jealous uh, young teenage lover. Um, he, this was wow. like a roundabout production and open to unanimously negative reviews. Uh, I guess there were poor ticket sales after John and Gina exited the production and it closed three months three months earlier than planned. Um, oh my god! Totally. I mean, I love me some Gina Gershon, so I wish I'd seen that. Um, lastly, in October 2016, it was announced that J Lo would star in Bye Bye Birdie live on NBC in December 2017. However, it kept getting pushed back um, and has still yet to materialize, supposedly due to her, you know, quote busy schedule. Um, I so like she was gonna what play the the Rosie, Hispanic, the, Rivera, the Latin the, assistant, the, yeah, the Cheetah Rivera, Rivera role, role Rosie. Um, I like to think that she actually read the script and realized it sucks, but given her filmography, I just kind of doubt that's the case. I mean, this is the same woman that made, like, let's see, like The Boy Next Door, Monster-in-Law, Anaconda, uh, the infamous Geely, which I saw in the movie theater. Actually, I also saw The Boy Next Door in the movie theater. Um, yeah, so maybe someday we'll get a, we'll get a live Bye bye birdie. Bye bye birdie. Starring, Holy starring J-Lo. shit. That Jenny is... starring Jenny from the block on the six. On the six. Jenny from the block. Um yeah. So I mean, I have never ever had any desire to see this musical. Don't. And I I remember the telephone scene from Musical Mondays. That's probably yeah, where I saw it. I'm sure. I had no idea that the 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 what is this? The happy song? The happy song. Put on a happy face. Put on a happy yeah. face. I had no idea that song came from that musical, yeah. like none. Um, but I, I didn't know anything about it except I didn't know that it was an Elvis Presley sort of knockoff, like inspirational. St- like yeah. that is, it's that is crazy. That whole that is crazy. Um, so I'm, I'm sad that I don't get to partake in your despisement of this because i'm sure i would completely agree even from afar i do yeah you would hate it i can guarantee you would hate it it's more just like exhausting and eye rolly and like yeah like so 1950s and like small towns are great and like and like gender roles like it's just yeah no no thank you and then the score just being like relentlessly like upbeat and everybody's grinning and oh it's no. <laughs> nope. Amazing. 
That's it. Amazing. That's it. That's a wrap up. Well, bye bye, Birdie. Bye bye, Birdie. Bye bye, Birdie. And welcome to the circle of life. That- you will be. You will be. You will be shat out like you were all along. Bye bye, Birdie. You had your moment, and now you will just be. Isn't that, is that a Backstreet Boys or an NSYNC song? The bye 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 NSYNC NSYNC. Yep. There's a yep. lot of people yep. that would be angry with me that I didn't know the answer to that question. But I was not a big yep. boy band person. But so anyway, I wasn't. I wasn't really either, bye, to be honest. Bye. I think the song Bye Bye Birdie 2 was also added for the movie, but not 100% sure on that. But I'm about 99% sure. <sighs> um, all, right. all right. Well, we have we have loved, we have hated, and we have dished. So I guess we are done. Yeah. With we're gonna, episode we're gonna ditch. 17. Keep keep with us. I don't us. know why it keep. feels it feels kind of like uh, important. It's like a milestone, but a I'm weird 17 one. Seventeen, and I'm new here today. What musical is that? The village I'm come from seems so far away. That's all you get. No, no. I right. have no idea. Miss Saigon. Oh, so okay. Well, we are a Vietnamese prostitute because we're at, we're wrapping episode seventeen. All right. Um, have a great one. Have a good I one. We'll talk to you, Scott Schneider, again shortly. Great. And um, yeah, Peace. everyone stay safe and stay positive and And listen to your musical woo. theater. Listen to your musical theater. Yes. Bye. All right. Bye. Bye.